what does it actually mean to be truly global to the extent we can, local, national, and international simultaneously, east, west, north, south, but from a place of actual growth and empathy? And this is where, again, this, this questions of consciousness come in. The questions of cultivating empathy, cultivating compassion, cultivating awareness, the complete antithesis of social media modes, long-term thinking, compassion, seeing complexity, comfort with oneself, solitude, the opposite of instant gratification, the attempt to constantly humanize and not dehumanize your fellow humans. These are all completely countervailing forces to the market technologic that subsumes all of us today. I want to dedicate this joint right here to Jonathan Jackson and George Jackson. Peace to those brothers. I want to shout out my man Sharon the Worm. 80 years. Come on, niggas. Come on, niggas. Oh. I just burnt my American flag and sent three cracker Nazis to hell, and I'm sad. Uh, Hello, and welcome to the Brand Down Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Hezekiah, along with my co host, Olivia Seaman. Say hello, Liv. Hello. Today, we're going to be interviewing my friend and yours, Luke. Say, Luke, would you say your full name and where you're from? Hello, it's Luke Ziegler, and I'm from New Tripoli originally, Pennsylvania. All right, um, would you tell us what your political leanings are? I mean, when DJ Mojo said that his political leanings were justice... I just about jumped out of my seat because that's it. No, none of this, like, none of these labels of ideologies or dogmas or any of that shit. My ideology, my political affiliation is justice. That's the shit. I loved it. So I'm, I'm stealing that. That's good. That's good. Um, Liv, do you have anything? Um, well, I mean, first off, like, fuck yeah, justice, uh, Luke, uh, you want to talk about, uh, about the, uh, the, uh, the Zoom meeting that, uh, we both took part in today? Sure, sure. So we just did, um, uh, the DSA of Harrisburg just put on a workshop, uh, under a group that they're starting up, um, called the Harrisburg Abolition Table. Um, and the workshop was on what abolition looks like, um, in 2020, what that should involve, uh, as far as what we're trying to abolish, um, and what we're trying to replace, um, these systems with. Uh, so we talked about, uh, prison abolition. We talked about police abolition. We talked about, uh, getting rid of ice. Um, we talked about changing, uh, our approach to even like things that we wouldn't necessarily think of as policing, um, like um, uh, the child protective services and changing their approach and making sure that that is a holistic one and not one that's geared toward breaking up families and uh, especially in black, uh, black, brown and indigenous families where you see a 
kind of continuation oftentimes of um, the cultural genocide that this country engaged in for the last, and I mean, even before the country existed, um, for the last, you know, 600 years or so, um, whether that was in uh, the, the, uh, the schools in which, you know, uh, European colonizers set up to try and, quote, kill the Indian and save the man, uh, or whether that was in more modern terms, like uh, uh, taking uh, uh, children of, of people who are uh, drug addicted or, or having issues with substance abuse, um, and then giving them over uh, to people who are not their parents. Um, and it, that'll disproportionately, that affects black and brown folks um, and often ends up with them living with white families who are erasing their culture and who aren't giving them um, the understanding of who they are and of who the world will see them as, regardless of what culture they were raised up in. Um, so it was, it was a really good and uh, I felt like it was a productive um, meeting. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty cool. That was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've known a few. Uh, you, you, you talked about uh, foster foster kids. I've known a few foster kids, and um, some of those environments are not uh, they're not great at all. Like a lot of these kids are abused. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, they they never free they're, labor. They're, yeah, they're they're split up from their their siblings. Like a lot of times, they don't even put siblings together. <clears throat> so, I, have like, a, yeah. I have a couple of friends that uh, survived foster care, and uh, some of the stories that I've heard from them, I mean, worse abuse than what, where they were coming from. Yeah, like, way worse. like, you, like take them out, you take them out of a home and you put them somewhere that's way worse. My, my one friend uh, told me a story about being locked in the basement during the duration of her time with this one foster family and being served food on a tray. And the door Jesus being locked Christ. behind them, and uh, I, that's that's one of the many horrific stories I've known. I've known people in the foster care system. I've known social workers, and I, I mean, I've I've, I've had family members and like uh, that were in orphanages, and uh, to me, it's it's not obvious that foster care is any better than sending a kid to an orphanage. <laughs> Just in terms of, of like all the horrors you imagine of the institutional abuse that occurs in an orphanage, I mean, now put it in someone's private home. Are orphanages? My my uh my uh my great grandfather. Is that Yeah yeah I mean back back in the what fifties, forties fifties. I had family members that were in orphanages. Oh okay. Yeah. So, so like, is it is this still a thing now? Like, is, as is as recently as the 1960s, um, you could mail away for uh, for fifteen dollars, you could adopt an indigenous child, um, and mm. there, the ads are still out there if you look them up, um, and you can find uh, correspondences between the uh, orphanages or really the the child detention centers that they had put kids in and yeah. you see, like one of the correspondences that was really clear to me in my memory at the moment um, was uh, the person who ran one of these, these uh, detention centers saying to uh, a person that 
based on the fact that you've already given us $15, we don't feel the need to do any sort of background check or questioning of you. Um, we can send you a boy, a girl, any age you like, for whatever purposes you have. Um, and that's, I mean, there you go. It seems like the clearest line to abuse that could exist. Um, yes. But somehow that was allowed for generations. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, what's going to happen to all those kids at the border? You know what I mean? They already lost, like, 1,500 kids. Mm-hmm. Trauma is what will happen. Yeah. Generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And my, my one friend that survived, like, um, all the foster homes, uh, they said, uh, you know, they have children themselves now, and they're basically like, you know, I don't know how, you know, it, talking about the difficulty of raising children, basically, like, every day I wake up and I try to do the best by my children because they will not, no matter how difficult that person struggling was, will ever go back, go to a foster home like they had to. Mm-hmm. Man, society is so fucked up, man. Jesus Christ. (laughs) We abolish the whole thing. It's going to be fine. We just restart. It's as simple as that. It'll it'll go great. (laughs) Well, speaking of abolition, um, you know that I am now a staunch abolitionist as far as police go. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I don't think this system is going to last. Uh, I don't think we can keep it the way it is. Um, I'm not. When I say that, people get all bent out of shape and they go, "What, what do you? You, you don't want to have cops anymore?" I'm like, uh, "Not the way they are. No, I don't. Like we can come up with something else, but like <clears throat> the way we do policing now, it's just not an option. All these motherfuckers." gotta get fired like i'm sorry yep. yeah <clears throat> no there was there was a great breakdown that they did in the uh in the group earlier um at the hat meeting where they were talking about what abolition versus reform looks like um and what they had was a four-step criteria for what makes a reform successful um <clears throat> versus what makes it uh, uh uh, furthering the same kind of toxicity that we already see from, mm-hmm. and not, not just the police, but all of our systems of institutional justice. Um, right. One of the things, uh, the question they posed was, does this reform reduce funding to the police? Number one. Number two, does it challenge the notion that police increase safety? Number three, does it reduce tools, tactics, and technology that the police have access to? And number four, does it reduce the scale of policing as a whole? And once you put everything through that lens, you start seeing that, okay, body cams, which cops are just going to turn off when they feel like shooting someone, when they feel like breaking the law. They're going to pop their hood when they don't want their dash cams to show whatever it is that they're doing in front of them. Um, Are we actually increasing accountability or are we just increasing funding and giving them access to more tools that they can then use to selectively pull footage from and get people locked up for? Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing for for, um, even increased training. You know, increased training looks like, again, what Joe Biden's calling for, an additional $300 million in funding to police departments across the country, which is honestly it's nothing when you look at some of these cities – uh, like Los Angeles, where the, the, the 
policing budget is I think 1.6 or 1.5 billion dollars. Uh, um, yeah. One of the, one of the stats that was thrown yeah, out. Well, what, what the fuck is 300 board. million going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. But it's going to indicate continued support for assistance uh-huh. with abuse and aggression, which is, you know, I mean, it's going to make him seem like he's doing something. Life. It's going to make it seem like he's doing something. He's yeah. Not doing uh-huh. something. <laughs> Thumbs up. Yeah, they had a they had a great speaker, um, a person named uh, Kamal Walton, who's who had a video titled "How Do We Prepare for Abolition," um, and in it they talked about. Um, how some of what communities are already doing is abolition. Um, it's just we don't call it that. So, like, people who don't call the cops, that's abolition in action. Um, feeding and housing your communities, um, keeping people safe, that is abolition. Doing mental health or drug rehab counseling is abolition. Um, studying racist systems with the aim to build community and dismantle them, all of that's abolition work. Um and it was it was a really good reframing of, okay, well, we're already doing the work. It's not that we have to come together and talk about how do we start. It's how do we recognize what we're already doing and how do we flesh that out more fully and how do we build upon that? Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so, uh, Kamal Walton, uh, definitely recommend checking them out. Mm-hmm. Now, now, my problem with a lot of police reforms, and I'm sure you, you – agree with me on this it's not any individual cop like you can't just well let's just get rid of all the bad apples <laughs> no the fucking tree has to go <laughs> it's not the apples it's the foundation yep it's the roots it's the soil all that shit has to be uprooted like mm-hmm. reforms aren't gonna work because you can train as many cops as you want the culture of the police is still there yeah you know what I mean? We're going to be there protecting <laughs> yeah. bad apple. Exactly. 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 Uh, and none of these things are actually challenging the roots. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Lord, Lord love Bernie. But when Bernie talks about um, decreasing military funding by 10% to put that money into uh, uh, different forms of community aid and put that money back into communities that are most impacted by uh, systemic racism and by violence. Um, that's, that's great. But now we need to be talking about abolition. We need to be talking about a whole different system. If we set the goal at a 10% decrease in funding, Uh, we're failing ourselves. And the same goes for police. If we set the goal at, at body cams, we're, we're fucking ourselves in advance. Also, has, like, anybody ever had, like, an apple tree in their yard or in their neighbor's yard? They're all bad apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chances are if one is, whole tree is fucked. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't see how people don't, don't understand that, like, there's an old saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks for a reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can't just take these terrible cops and then turn them into good cops. Like it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Like something has something's gotta give. Like we we have to relook the way we're doing policing as a whole. Because yeah. this system isn't working. It's clearly not working. Yeah. They're going around shooting people. Like, no. We can't have this anymore. I don't remember which um 
which episode it was that you, you were talking about uh, Camden's police reform. Yeah. Um, but Camden's police reform was reform, not abolition. What uh-huh. they did there was they fired the entire police force, which sounds amazing. Right. You get real excited about that and you think, great, that's a big step. But then they rehired, I think, something like two-thirds of those same officers back to their, quote, new uh, abolished police force. So, no, you didn't actually fix policing. You didn't actually fix the people doing the the work. You did external change and internal sameness, maintenance of the status quo. Uh. Also, uh, Scott, too, like micro going to macro, like – we're not – are we responsible for the transcendent experience that would have to occur to reform uh, uh, a police officer, et cetera? Like, are, are we responsible for that? Because I know you don't go to your abuser for fucking healing, you know? Yeah. You know, you don't offer to pay for your abuser's counseling. And you generally don't uh, believe them whenever they say, oh – I understand now. <laughs> yeah, like I've changed. Like I'm, I'll never do it again. Yeah, fuck out of here, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like fuck out. And now, now when I brought that, uh, I'm gonna admit when I'm wrong. Like I was wrong about that. But p- part of me bringing that up was to say that like sh- this shit can be done. Like it can, it can happen. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even if they didn't do all the work, they did part of it. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, they, they got rid of all the police. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's some shit we should be looking at. Right. Like, they didn't do it perfectly. They didn't even, they didn't do it right. But they did something. Like, you can't just leave the shit the way it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, maybe yeah. I wasn't 100% uh, <clears throat> informed on that. But, like, to me, it looks like they were trying. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're not, we're not trying anything. We're just trying to flood them with money. And it's like, okay, but, like, we've done this shit before. Mm-hmm. It seems like every year we have a new protest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, just I think me personally, I don't even know, uh, I don't know what that work begins to look like. I mean, really, I mean. It, it feels like to me every year we have state-sanctioned parades. Yeah. Not every year do we have proper protest. I mean, what's going on in Portland right now, they've had 53 days, probably 54 now, uh, what is time, mm-hmm. um, of, of straight Every night, people have been out in the streets, and they've been making people uncomfortable. And if your protest isn't making people uncomfortable, I mean, all for diversity of tactics, but the police are fine to take pictures kneeling with the same protesters that they're going to beat the shit out of three hours later or a half hour later. Mm. All that's fine. When you're not making them uncomfortable, when you're saying – Come here, abuser. I will make you look acceptable to the public for the photo op that I know you want for your propaganda. Uh, they're going to take that opportunity. And then they're still going to gas you, talk about how they're going to beat the fuck out of you later, and give you a nice smile for the photo. Mm-hmm. So uh, however it is people go about making change and raising their voice, I'm in support of. I'm in support of, honest to God, just about every action that people take because – Apathy, I feel like, is one of the biggest things that we face um, partially out of 
I think, cynicism out of hopelessness. People don't think that anything can change um, or that they have the power that they do. And there's a whole system set in place to make sure that we don't feel like we have that power. Um, but you'll notice Minneapolis has voted to defund the police department and abolish that police department after, I mean, one little fire, not a big deal. Just yeah. one. Uh, and then in Portland, they, uh, they burnt down the, uh, the union building, um, which a whole host of cops were out protecting, even though it's uh, a private building, not a, not a state or, uh, or city or municipal building, I guess is the term I'm looking for. Always happy to see our tax dollars going toward yeah. <laughs> like protecting police union buildings. It's, bull, it's bullshit, man. Like, uh -huh. like this system is just like the people who want to uphold it, who aren't like directly benefited benefiting from it. Like, oh, we can't we can't burn down the police station. Why? <laughs> Why do you care? Yeah, I mean, like they're not there to protect you, and like you need people need to understand this. Like the the reason why your neighborhood is is safe or dangerous has nothing to do with the police. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with opportunity. Yep. If your if your community has no opportunity, that means people are gonna commit crimes. That's what that means. Mm. It has nothing to do with the police. The police show up to the crime after it's been committed. So they're not really stopping crimes anyway. Exactly. Not at all. <laughs> it... <laughs> yeah. I did like, um, just to, I, to get back to um, uh, HAT's meeting, they had uh, a six point program for what it looked like to actually, like what we can advocate for now that helps us along the goal of abolition, what pushes toward that? Um, one of the things was suspending paid administrative leave when cops commit wrong, and then they get paid. You know, they shoot somebody to death, and then they get paid for a vacation for a couple weeks or a month. Yeah. Come back right onto the same force, or even if they get let go from that force, they're picked up shortly after by another. Um, they said uh, one of the others was uh, withholding pensions refusing to rehire excessive force using cops. Um, number three was uh, requiring cops to uh, be liable for their misconduct settlements, which I think would be huge. If your ass is actually on the line, your finances are on the line, what does that change in, in comparison to you knowing that if you're sued, if there is a lawsuit, the city and the very same taxpayers that you're abusing are going to be responsible for putting the bill for your abuse. That's huge. Uh -huh. um, they also want to cap overtime accrual and overtime pay for military training. It just makes sense. Um, withdrawing participation in the militarization programs for the police. Um, and then I think the most important one, which is the most holistic approach to abolition, which is prioritizing spending on community health, education, and affordable housing. <laughs> Um, one of the, uh, one of the stats that come out throughout was that major cities, um, uh, policing hogs up to 40 to 60% of the city's budget. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you think about what we get back for that 40 to 60% in these big cities that it's, 
nothing. And then on top of that, the uh, the point was made, um, where do these people live that are doing the policing in the cities? Um, they don't live in the city. Oftentimes, they don't live in the city. Um, there's an activist whose name is slipping my mind at the moment um, who, who went up and uh, from the mayor directly asked how many of the police officers in this precinct um, live in this within city limits. Mm-hmm. And the mayor asked on, yeah, he gives the number 5%. So 5% of the, that money is actually taxed within the district. The other 95%, what ends up happening is they're paying taxes in the localities where they live. So they're paying taxes to make their schools better. They're paying taxes to make their roads better, to make their funding for after school programs better um, and better pay for their teachers. But what happens to the city? Well, we fucking rob it. We rob it and we take all of those resources and all of those, all of that work, all that labor off of a disproportionately black and brown bodies and we export it to the suburbs. And it was, it was a devastating point. And of course the mayor sits there looking stupid Um, and, and having no real commitments made at the end of that conversation because the status quo is comfortable for many. And to be honest, he, the mayor probably don't live there either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure of the origins of the term, so I don't know. Um, I don't know exactly what I'm saying here, which is always a good time when you're saying a slur. But uh, <laughs> it's what they call the carpet bagger. Hmm. Now the thing, the thing that gets me about the police not living in these cities. It's just like, okay, like something's, something's got to change there. So we're going to have cops. They have to at least live in the communities they police. And, like, I don't know why that is that you, you can just hire any cop from anywhere, you know what I mean? And, like, I don't know why politicians who don't live in districts are allowed to run in such and such district. Like, I, I don't understand any of that, like, a lot, a lot of that lot don't make sense to, to me. Somebody, <clears throat> it's a lot easier to steal from somebody or to beat the shit out of somebody that has no idea where you live, mm. that has never seen you before, and who is dehumanized to you as a person who is an other when you're an occupying force rather than uh, a community safety officer, which is what we really should have outside of any of this militarized bullshit. Um, code enforcement and military safety. Um, I, I'm sorry, and community safety. I think you said it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is a little side note, but I, I'd, I'd never heard the term carpetbagger before, but there is a place in Newport, uh, it's uh, where I live, and yeah. it's called like uh, the Carpet Baggers. It's like little antique mall, what have you. It says uh, uh, Reconstruction era carpet baggers were well educated members of the middle class. They worked as teachers, merchants, journalists, or other types of businessmen, or at the Freedmen's Borough, an organization created by Congress to provide aid for newly liberated black Americans. But, like, my understanding is it's people that um, said, 
from the period from 1865 to 1877, there were southern states that seceded were rec- that were reorganized as part of the Union to describe Northerners who moved to the South after the war, um, supposedly in an effort to get rich or acquire political power. So I don't interesting. Know. So definitely a term I should look into more before using. As is usually the case. Yeah, uh, said uh, in the history of the United States, carpetbagger was derogatory term uh, applied by the former Confederates to any person from the northern United States who came to the southern states Jeez. after the American Civil War. They were perceived as exploiting the local populace. Well, I know they used to use that word a lot in like Mark Twain books. So. Uh, yeah, that's, that Mark yeah. Cole never said a word that you don't want to repeat. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. Issue, everything always went super well. It was just like a nice raft ride, and everything was cool. That's it my word, Yeah. Oh, oh, right. I guess there was that shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Better than H.P. Lovecraft's cat. <laughs> oh, God. Uh. Okay, um, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, oh, God, sorry, I'm, like, blinking here. You know, okay. Me too, I'm stuck back on Lovecraft Cash. <laughs> I'm stuck back on why I didn't know what carpetbagger meant. <laughs> All right, so um, we we just talked about it off uh, off air. Uh, one of our our comrades just just passed away, Michael Brooks. Um, rest in peace. Um, I used to listen to pretty much all his shows. Uh, how do you feel about that? Um, like, I know it's just, like, out of nowhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? This this year has just been so crazy. Now it's uh, it just, yeah. It was a, a loss out of nowhere, which sucks. Um, and it sucks, especially in that Michael Brooks was one of the few voices in new media that I've seen that made a really strong attempt to unify the left um, and to unify over our shared beliefs mm. rather than segmenting even in, into even smaller and smaller portions of the population, which makes us ineffective. Yeah. Uh, Brooks also understood that if you're not coming from a centered place, if you haven't done some level of the ego work that's required to be effective in community spaces and within organizing spaces, then your toxicity is going to leak onto other people and into the spaces that you're trying to enter to better just because you don't understand how to effectively work with other people as your primary concern. Um, rather than yourself. Um, he was doing great work. I know you saw, I'm sure, some of his uh, his interviews with Lula da Silva, uh, um, which yeah. is, which were incredible. And uh, I'm so glad he got to do that before he died. Um, got a chance to meet a lot of his heroes. Um, Cornell West, um, 
got to do work with Abby Martin. He was doing work with, uh, with TYT's Anna Kasparian over at Jacobin. Um, now he's doing a lot of really important work and it's, it's a loss for sure. Yeah. Like I, I really liked him because like you said, he really was about unifying the left. And that's one of my things. Like I, I love this this movement. I love, you know what I mean, being a leftist. But sometimes it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, like we we have to coalesce around the shit we actually do uh, agree with. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes we, we, we can, like, close ourselves off. And, you know what I mean, we, we, we become we become less less effective like that. You know what I mean? So like we have to we have to coalesce around one idea. <laughs> yeah. Like just, cats. Yeah. If leftists aren't cats, I mean that's that's actually I think we should start a new philosophy based on this idea. Leftists are cat people and <laughs> and the right wing gets dogs. The right wing gets Loyalty without question gets love after abuse gets no thoughts for self or or um, <clears throat> or or justice and a cat you mistreat a cat they'll piss on your bed they don't give a shit <laughs> they will come after your whole family mm-hmm. that's proper that's that cats understand praxis mm-hmm. yeah yeah they do. I love my dog, but I I, I, I really understand that. Uh, yeah, my dog loves me unconditionally. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> cats, on the other hand, yeah, you you gotta work a little harder for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, every once in a while, you come across that dog cat. He just wants to love everybody. Yeah. Man, don't get me started on cats. I should I shouldn't have started that. I'm gonna spend the next half hour just like <laughs> let me tell you about Walter. Walter's a Maine Coon cat that makes adorable little. <laughs> oh God, no, I'd go for hours on that. <laughs> no, but yeah, like yeah, I really think we could we could uh, follow Michael Brooks' lead and just. Um, yeah, just focus on what we agree on. For sure. And stop trying to like kick everybody out of the leftist movement who don't who don't agree with you one hundred percent. Stop trying to create hierarchies. Stop yeah. trying to create hierarchies and, and people saying, I have the perfect analysis and you should all listen to me. Mm. <clears throat> That's not what the whole movement's supposed to be about. Yeah. The whole movement is supposed to be about communities and compromise. And an understanding that we're all on the same team and that when we all succeed, we all do better collectively. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's where, again, it comes down to the ego work. Have we figured out that we don't have to be the smartest person in the room? We don't have to be the most effective. We just need to show up. We need to show up and find out how to use whatever skills are innate to us and grow those. And have we figured out what drugs we all need to take to completely obliterate our egos? <laughs> I got suggestions. I got suggestions. <laughs> uh, or you could always meditate, sit and stare at a wall for a couple hours. That's good stuff, too. 
Yeah, yeah, I feel that. <laughs> Alright, well, um, so, we're coming up on, uh, the second wave of the coronavirus. Um, today, Trump urged everybody to wear masks now, so here we are. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> in, the twi- in the twilight zone. Yeah. Know, it's, it's coming full circle. Um. Uh, it's a good thing to note that uh, uh, billionaires are now encouraging people to wear masks. Yeah, they don't want to lose their workforce. Shit, yeah. that's human capital. Yeah. They're so human now, capital. From yeah, so, now, so now Trump is changing his tune. Um, so you guys live in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> that's right. <laughs> Uh, I live in a a pretty liberal area, and when I say liberal, uh, uh, I mean, you know, people who vote Democrat. So, anyway, yeah, like, pretty good about... advocate that the police ask your pronouns before beating the shit out of you. (laughs) Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, how's it been in, you know what I mean, Trump country? Uh, have you encountered any anti-mask people or, or, or stuff yeah. like that? <laughs> <laughs> have you had Liv arguments with people who Liv. don't believe in COVID? Uh, Liv can take that one because Liv's had a lot more experience with Newport and for a lot longer than I have and a lot more experience with Perry County. Oh, God. Um, well, let me tell you about the hellscape that is Perry County, I suppose. Uh <laughs> Um, well, uh, I'm trying to think about how to do this without, uh, okay, uh, nobody's wearing masks, some people are wearing masks, most people aren't wearing fucking masks, uh, uh, people are kissing and hugging each other and babies and what have you, and, uh, uh, people, God, I mean, what, how, I don't, I don't know how to put this to words, I mean, like, so I have a Black Lives Matter sign in my shop. I have noticed people that were coming in not coming in after that was put up. Um, I, I, I mean, just like on Facebook and the local community, I recognize people not giving a damn about that shit. I recognize um, people losing uh, their goddamn minds about everything uh, Dr. Rachel Levine says. I mean, uh, yeah, Levine, Levine. Um, perhaps I'm pronouncing it wrong. Um, Levine I, sounds stronger. I like that, but I think it's Levine. Levine, yeah. Or yeah. Levine. It might be Levine. Shit, we've got three options. I've made it worse. <sighs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, at, at okay. So, what are we saying for Doctor uh, Levine? Levine, Levine. I like I like Levine. Let's say Levin? Levin. Oh, I feel like it's very wrong. It's not French. It's, it's not it's French. It's very possibly wrong. But then again, yeah, and it's I'm got an E. It's got an E at the end. So it's I'm from Nutripoli, and Nutripoli is pronounced Nutripoli if you're from there, but it's it's Nutripoli. We all know it. We're just a bunch of backward Dutchies for the most <laughs> part, and we say shit wrong, and then we <laughs> grin at you like we fucked up a culture and it was great. 
we did a great <laughs> job at not knowing how to speak the language of the culture that was probably here at one point that we fucked off. Okay, uh, well, Dr. Levine, Dr. Levine, um, uh, about 45 minutes north of here, for example, in Bloomsburg, uh, mm -hmm. another Pennsylvania situation, uh, the carnival had a dunking booth. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to say this. Where there they was... put a man in a dress. Yeah. And then they allowed people to throw, uh, as you do in dunking booths, um, objects at a target, which would dunk their faux Dr. Levine. Levine Levine. Um, our, our Pennsylvania um, uh, Secretary of Health. Yeah. And um and that's that's completely fine. That's that's funny to everyone and um they continue to misgender her. Um and uh just the, the abuse alone. I mean people people are um exactly as ignorant as you imagine they are. Exactly <laughs> as ignorant as you imagine they are. Well the and, thing, um, the thing is, I, I I like I really can't imagine. Like what the like, this sounds like movie shit to me, man. Like, you ever watch, like, Mississippi Burning or something? Like, it's that type of shit. Like, what the fuck are y'all doing? There's a little Children of the Corn, a little bit of uh, uh, some other weird-ass redneck horror stories. Um, it's it's really bad. It's really bad. It's it's really it's really bad up here. So like our 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 corona is coronavirus like spiking where you are or is no. it just like there are spikes within really. very small segments of the community. Um, yeah. So uh, a lot of the uh, the Amish and the old Mennonite uh, communities. Um, one in particular actually put up a sign. Uh, there's a, a discount expired food store mm -hmm. called Skyline Bargains up here, who had on their front door a uh, if you're wearing a mask, you don't trust Jesus not to let you die. Sign. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yep. I drove by a chicken barbecue in Seals Grove, and not one person was wearing a mask. That was this previous weekend. And, yeah, so, I mean, like, so if you get the coronavirus, it's because you don't have enough faith. <laughs> Oof, man. I picked a good time to not be religious. <laughs> yeah, I mean. right. Yeah, yeah. God. No, but I mean, I've 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 been hearing this this whole like religious kick about like I don't need a mask because Jesus is gonna protect me. Yeah. And it's, and it's just like, like man, it's the craziest shit. These are the people who will allow themselves to get bit by snakes. Yeah. God's gonna protect them from the venom. And I, I wish I could remember the names of the people involved, but there was one of these. Um, I think they're, uh, I think Pentecostal is the denomination, but a specific subsection of Pentecostal religion within that, um, where it was a, a snake handling church. Father dies um, after getting bit by some snakes uh, as the pastor of the church. Um, the son takes over the church and dies as a result of handling snakes and getting bit by them. Um, and this is a church who believes that if you have a strong enough amount of faith, um, the snake venom won't kill you because God will protect you. 
you know, uh, faith the size of a mustard seed and all. Mm. Um, I, I grew up with not quite that level of detachment, but just, just close enough. And, uh, it's a special place. Man, I grew up Baptist, like black Baptist. And like, even we had like common sense, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like there was a fucking nurse in the church. Like, like, yeah, like we're using modern medicine, motherfucker. Like we had nurses, we had doctors and we had, uh, we had folks who worked in every part of the community. It was just they were absolutely ass backward on most things. And the, I mean, it was the kind of church where, uh, and I went there for like 16 years growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the kind of church where the two Democrats who existed within the church were very well known and very stigmatized as a result of their voting habits. Um, and these are Democrats. We're talking like um, Hillary Clinton loving kinds of Democrats, uh, old, well-to-do, privileged white people who had a very paternalistic approach to whether it was poor folks, black folks, the indigenous, um, queer folks and so uh, and what have you. Uh, they thought of themselves as as. Uh, evolved white savior types and uh i don't think they saved a whole lot of folks <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it's always weird to me like i've i've talked to a few, like i used to live in uh in chester county and that's like a big uh pennsylvania area mm. so like i've talked to like republican christians and it's always weird talking to them because, like, they don't believe in any of the shit Jesus taught. Nope. Like, n- none of it. Like, just, like, they just making up shit. You know what I mean? I, I had a conversation um, maybe two weeks ago with my brother about how, uh, in his belief, Jesus is not a radical. Jesus had nothing to do with politics and wouldn't touch politics with a 10-foot pole because Jesus said, give under Caesar. And the Jesus who flipped over the money changers' te- uh, tables in the temple, well, that was that was just Jesus upset that people were trying to take money from God, not not somebody who was saying you are preying on people, you are taking advantage of them by marking up your goods and wrapping it all in the sanctimonial shroud of religion, which is what they were doing and what Jesus was upset about, if you ask me. But yeah. Then again, these are people who have white Jesus all over their walls. Mm-hmm. White, blonde, emaciated Jesus who looks like he's never worked a day in his life. Or like looks like he plays in some kind of emo band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, oh, God, he's got yes. makeup on. His hair is like awesome. Like he's <laughs> wearing a dress. You know. Barely stopped myself from busting out on uh, a version of um, – Jesus feeds the people with like a taking back Sunday backtrack. It would have all been in my head though, so it wouldn't have worked. I mean, motherfucker looks like Russell Brand. Yeah, Russell Brand could just grow a little bit larger. <laughs> Impossible. My God. Yeah. Oh. Although I will say Russell Brand has had some really interesting uh, evolutions over the last couple of years. 
Yeah. I don't know if you folks have checked in on that wild bastard. I have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah. Over there. I'll give him that. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's he's uh changed quite a bit. Um, and not for the worse, thank God. Now for the for the better, for sure. <laughs> yeah. He participated in um he participated in protests following the burning of um the fire at that apartment building. Um. Uh-huh due to landlords not keeping up with code. Um, it was uh, something to do with the the insulation around the apartment building being way beyond code and being extremely flammable. Uh, several people died in this, in this fire. Um, more details would be great. Uh, but um, Russell Brand joined those protests and took up that movement um, and became, through that, I think, partially at least radicalized and started talking about how capitalism and greed and every part of our institutional society in the West and in, in European cultures, which have spread their tender, uh, their tentacles um, throughout most of the rest of the world through whether it was direct colonization or, or financial colonization. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've created these, these, incredibly negative and damaging institutions that are meant to continue predation, um, especially of those in the, in the global South, but also of those within their own borders who are poor, who don't have access to resources. Um, and it's, it's, it's always gotta be the combination of, and the intersection of race and class and gender and sexuality. Um, and I feel like he's starting to move toward that, and I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's always good to have another comrade, you know what I mean? Of course. Now, door's <laughs> always open, honey. Come on in. Yeah, right. Yeah. Whew, boy. All right, we're coming up on an hour. We're at uh, 48 minutes. Um, you know, we always end on the election. Um, yeah. So, uh, at this point, um, I'm a little torn because it's looking like, uh, with the Lincoln Project being the way it is and polling numbers being the way they are, that there might actually be enough Republicans to break away from Trump, from Biden to win the election. So... I'm thinking I might just go ahead and vote green. But at the same time, it's still pretty early. It's it's not even August yet. Let's, you know I mean? How do you feel about the election? Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not pressuring anybody to vote anyway. I don't care. Vote your conscience. Don't vote at all. Whatever you got to do, vote green, whatever. If, if, if I was if I was gonna say to anybody who weren't gonna vote for Biden, I would tell them to vote green because I think it's important. But you know, how do you feel about that? Uh, we haven't talked at all, uh, at least on air anyway, about how you felt after Bernie dropped out. Mm. You you can uh, you can talk about that too if you want. That's a whole can of worms. Um, I want to start with talking about um, 
the two-party system that we've got in the state um, and how we have two choices primarily and by design. Um, the Democratic Party has allowed the Republican Party to be a gun to our head as we've moved further and further right on the ideological spectrum. Um, I think one of the things that's important for us to talk about at this moment is if we're going to even consider voting for Joe Biden, what's important is what are we getting for our vote and why the fuck are we promising our vote to somebody months in advance? Why are we saying before they've acquiesced to any of our demands that yes, we'll vote for you? That's not how power works. We have mm -hmm. to take what power we can and utilize it the most effectively that we can to get the maximum amount of change out. So even if I was going to vote for Joe Biden, I wouldn't be talking about that now. I would be saying, here's how Joe Biden can win my vote. Um, and I don't think Joe Biden can win my vote, to be honest. Um, yeah. Because I don't think that's the kind of character we face with Joe Biden. We face the guy that's behind the 94 crime bill. We face the guy that's behind the Anita Hill trial being an absolute fucking disaster. We face a guy with dozens of sexual assault allegations, some of which are on video and on against children. We, we face an absolute piece of shit as the primary candidate for the Democratic Party. Mm. Great. And he's running against Trump, who, I mean, at this point, it's punching the village idiot. It's making fun of the village idiot. It's fun. It's great for us. We can feel superior. But if we're not also criticizing at the same time the institutions that allowed him to gain power in the first place, which were in large part empowered by people like Joe Biden and, yes, people like Barack Obama, um, we're fucking up as a movement. We're fucking up with our analysis, and I don't think we're strategically making the right move. Um, I, I do want to say that I think it makes a lot of sense to vote green. I think that, that Howie's platform is obviously far away from what could even be touched by an empowered institution like the Democratic Party. But I think the most important thing that we could push for, um, I shouldn't say the most important, that's one of the most important things we could push for if we're actually trying to change things through electoral politics. For one thing, it's focusing more on local and state um, school board elections, these types of things. I need to yeah. do a lot better at educating myself on those things. They're not as glamorous. They're not as cool. We don't all get to share. Like, for example, I mean, you're outside of Philly. We don't get right. to have that conversation about, hey, did you hear what Bob Jones did down at the school board in Perry County? Well, no, we don't have that shared um, uh, point of interest because that's not you know, that's not your race. Uh, but um, at the same time, I think it would be a huge step in the right direction if we were able to push for ranked choice voting. And that's, yeah. I think, from for, in my mind, that's one of the only ways that we see a third party actually make progress because mm -hmm. people, are, people are terrified to vote their conscience. People are terrified to say, I much prefer this platform, which I know most likely won't approach even three or four percent, much less the 10, 15 or 20 percent that are required to get additional funding at a federal level. Um, if we have ranked choice voting, which allows you to choose 
your top first, second, third candidate and go down the list, um, depending on who is able to actually accumulate enough votes, that's where your vote goes. That would be a huge step. Do I think that the institutions and the powers that be will ever let us come anywhere close to that sort of step? Doubtful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's doubtful that great as Howie Hawkins is, that we hit a, a, a 10, 15, or 20% benchmark. Um, because it's just, there is so much pressure. There is so much, um, whether it's from your peers, from institutions, um, to fall in line, to, to accept abuse, and to yeah. say support abuse. Yeah, this pressure from Donald Trump himself. God damn right I mean, there that's, that's where I'm getting my pressure from. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I can care less. What yeah. what other what what liberals say? I I don't give a fuck about them. I'm mm-hmm. I'm the only reason I'm even thinking about voting for Joe Biden is because every day Donald Trump does something crazy, and I'm like, yo, what the f- like what the fuck, man? <laughs> like this motherfucker can't stay in office. Like he just can't. <laughs> like like dude, like like. Like today, I just shared the article about uh, <clears throat> the Bush lawyer telling him he can rule by decree. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what the, uh-huh. fuck? Like, what the fuck kind of shit yeah. is that? Right. Like, like, oh, shit. Like, this where we at now? Oh, RBJ has cancer, right? Yeah. Y'all uh, just told me uh, that. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah he's going he's gonna to get another Supreme Court justice. Cool. And like at this point, I'm like so so done with the Supreme Court. Like I don't even yeah. give a fuck about it anymore. But like I don't want him to have another nomination. No, yeah. Time. And then like I think we should reform the courts. Any like I don't think those motherfuckers should be there for life. I really don't. No, like, this, yeah. This yeah. Unelected positions. Right. There's clearly no actual. Um, Bipartisan or, or or nonpartisan approach there, mm-hmm. like that that shit went out the window years ago. Us pretending yeah. that that Supreme Court justice nominees were actually supposed to be you know uh, neutral arbiters or interpreters of the law. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, it doesn't work like that anymore. So if it's it's going to be about popularity. Yeah. Mom, let's make it about popularity. Let's make them elected positions. Mm-hmm. Um. At the same time, you're a thousand percent right when you say that these being lifetime positions is just us setting ourselves up for disaster. Yeah, it is. Um, I like. Uh, I forget who suggested this, but I think it was on Bill Maher's show. I'm not sure, but they said that uh, we should have like a rotation of federal judges. And like every couple years or so, they just they just rotate, you know what I mean, from the from the federal the lower yeah. federal courts, and just have them rotate in in and out of the Supreme Court. You know what I mean? That way it won't it won't be the same people, and you won't have it, like there's only so many judges. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean that's a that's an idea. You know what I mean? It's something. Yeah. It's better than what we got now. I, I don't. 
I don't yeah. think uh, those motherfuckers being there for their whole life or until they retire <clears throat> is the way to go. Um, the same way we should have term limits for people in Congress. Uh, I heard something. I don't know if it, like, I, th- I feel like it came out of Iceland. I feel bad, like, even, like, bringing this up. Uh, but, like, because uh, I, I don't have the proper information behind this. But it's something like, it, maybe if we pulled folks, uh, you know, that voted just, like, at random, perhaps we'd have something that favored justice a little bit more slightly than whatever we have the fuck going on now. And thinking about, like, federal judges in general, too, like, I understand they're educated and, like, you know, we've got we've got so many Americans that, like, aren't properly educated, et cetera. But, like, there's, like, I mean, as somebody that's a high school dropout, you know, like, there's a lot of privilege that goes on too in my mind for folks that were able to be educated in the first place. Yeah. yeah. How did you being a judge? Yeah. If you got to being a judge, chances are you had a privileged lifestyle to begin with. And so already there's a class barrier, um, and often a racial a racial barrier because yeah. you can't separate race from class in a country built on slavery, um, yeah. at all. And so. How do we make sure that we're going to have representation in a system that's built on this? And honestly, I mean, back to the title, burn it the fuck down because yeah. we, can't, <laughs> we can't fix it. We can't fix it under these current circumstances. No. Under the current paradigm, we can't actually achieve justice. All we can ask for if we're staying in this system is slight tweaks of the rules. And slight tweaks are cool, but we can we can do a lot more by doing direct action, by doing community building, by doing engagement with folks who are like-minded and figuring out how do we want to make the world that we want to see in the future? Um, what is what is the work that we're doing to build that outside of electoral politics? Because they want us to play by the rules of the game because they wrote the rules. Um, that's, that's as clear as I got it. And you know, like one thing that always fucks me up too, uh, not to, uh, just to interrupt for a minute, <laughs> like, okay, so you go, um, also, okay, forgive me, but perhaps we also take a, not only in like opening people up to schooling, but like also we take a look at the institutions and what they're teaching everyone too. Because I mean, I've, there's got to be some manner of like, uh, you have to believe, you know, you know what I mean? Like the school's a community. So they favor like a common like understanding and, you know, supporting this and that. Like there's some manner of like brainwashing, not brainwashing, that's a hard word, but you know, like how do, how do I mean, it's the right word. They recite a pledge yeah. to a country before they're able to understand what a pledge or a country is. Yeah. Before the age of reason, honest to God, I think this is one of the best things. And obviously, I have, I have my issues with the fact that I was homeschooled as a kid. Mm-hmm. But being homeschooled and not having that same level of indoctrination made it so much easier for me once I hit the age of reason to start radicalizing. And to start understanding that this whole system's wrong. This whole system is built on things that don't make any sense to a person who is barely functional. And I mean, I say that as that person. Um, 
it's clearly all so sick at the roots um, that yeah, no, we have to we have to change everything from the ground up. We have to change the education system. We have to change the justice system. We have to change the system in the courts. We have to change the way that we we manufacture and produce uh, uh, goods and food, um, and change our relationship to food. Um, which is, I mean, it's one of the things that's been so great about working with the uh, the community garden um, that we've got going on in Newport. We've got heart and soil out there, which is an entirely different relationship to farming and to gardening than I've seen uh, anywhere. You know what that hick shit, man. Mm-hmm. With that yeah. what shit? Hick shit. Hick shit? No, no, no. Listen, you talk to, ask Fannie Lou Hamer. Ask Fannie Lou Hamer if she thought that having a garden and a pig was some hick shit. No, Fannie Lou Hamer said, you give me a garden and a single pig and I can feed myself for the year. And the whole point of that was to be self-sustaining for the community. Mm-hmm. And Fannie Lou Hamer, look her up, good God, a powerhouse, a fucking powerhouse, started a, um, a program where folks could basically um, – pool their money together, pool the resources together, and distribute uh, pigs as livestock um, throughout their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what the exact term is. It's similar to like a, um, uh, like a seed bank, but with pigs. I don't think they were saving pig semen anywhere, but similar approach. Um, and now it's about... Less so than just being um, yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. It's about getting things done for your community, making sure that you have security and safety within your community. I think about one thing, too, as far as, like, growing your own food and all that. Like, my, my pop uh, grew up in a situation in which, uh, like, if a deer got struck and killed on the road, they'd bring that roadkill to his family. Like, he grew up in a trailer. He grew up in houses without any indoor plumbing and um it was the garden it was his grandparents really? Really? yeah yeah like, yeah yeah okay okay we'll give you there's a little bit of hick shit in there there's However, shit. However, shit. no yeah it's there no. Are lessons oh, yeah yeah no, no my dad my dad my dad grew up um yeah uh absolutely poverty stricken white trash as fuck um yeah where did he live at yeah, well, um, he lived in Perry County. He lived in Perry County, and my dad had to eat roadkill to survive. Um, my dad grew up with uh, intense food scarcity, and it was through other people's gardens, through his parents trying to have a garden growing. Like, literally, uh, if it weren't for that, my dad would have literally, like, I mean, I, they were all too proud, I think, I, I don't know what to, like, I think they took, they took some handouts that they needed, but, like, my dad, uh, my dad was so desperately poverty-stricken, and it was, uh, they made their own soap out of the hogs that they got from his grandparents, to get, like, the hog fat, they'd butcher a hog, and they'd make soap, like, my dad grew up with no indoor fucking plumbing, like, and eating roadkill, and, like, the whole idea of the garden, my dad, every year, um, of my life, I can remember my dad always had the biggest fucking garden ever because my dad still has this weird innate trust. I have to be able to provide. My dad is 
so traumatized. He has to provide. He has to provide. There has to be backup food. There has to be something. And it's, it's this strong, I have to sustain the family. I have to sustain basic survival by gardening, etc. Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of great lessons in that. Um, uh, so many parts of our communities could be um, just stronger if we had that that ability to say, okay, say the the the, the big one hits, which out uh, on the east coast we don't have to worry quite as much about. Um, but our, our food systems are only built to sustain two to three days worth of no deliveries coming from trucks. So if the transportation system goes down, it's two or three days between you and no food. Um, If you've got a garden, if you've got livestock, if you've got the ability to hunt, that extends your survivability by that much more. And I I think there is real wisdom in that. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) I know like with my dad's family, like they didn't eat scrapple because they liked it. (laughs) Like all those like, uh, awful bits of the hog and whatnot, like tongues uh, and lips and anuses. Yeah, right. Yeah, all the gross shit. Like they, they, they ate it because that's what there was to eat, and you cleaned your fucking plate because there wasn't anything else to fucking eat. <laughs> nah, I, I, uh, I realized, I realized as a uh, city slicker that I lived a charmed life. So, you know, I mean, as charmed as you know, I mean. A poor person in the city could live. So, like, I'm only teasing y'all. I'm not really, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might have struck a nerve for some folks yeah. sitting out there in the middle of absolute fucking yeah. nowhere. So, like, anytime my dad butchered a deer or any kind of animal got butchered or what have you, like, you, you rip that heart out of that animal and you throw it in vinegar immediately because we're eating that next. Like, yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's a stupid. It sounds like more than I would do. So, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I commend all y'all for that, for like, you know what I mean? Being able to take care of yourselves. Because, yeah. like, without the supermarket, I'd be lost. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, like, I mean, honestly, too, like, uh, I think by the people that, um, like, even like family history, like, it, it's, it's also really hard. To, it's, it, even if you have your own garden, it's not clear that you're going to survive. Um, my ex-husband, uh, born in Narkola, Russia, in the southern Russia, in the Caucasus, and they had to survive literally off of their garden, and, you know, even with your own garden, uh, survival's not pretty, and it's not, uh, beautiful. It's, uh, really fucking difficult, and people still don't have enough to eat. So, you know, um, I don't I don't think gardens are like completely the answer. I mean, for some people, it could be completely the answer. But like, it's just something that needs to exist to be there to make up for other things. But it's fucking hard to live off your own fucking garden. None of fucking calories. (laughs) It's part of where gardening, hunting, um, raising your own livestock. They're all they're all forms of direct action. Um, And I think. Folks that understand them is that are are moving in the right direction toward being able to provide for themselves and more importantly for their communities. I'm not talking about some prepper shit where we're you know hoarding for ourselves for the next five gallon buckets of mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Baker's buckets. Could I could I do a quick plug for Jim Baker's buckets? 
Uh-huh. Jim Baker's got a bucket for all your needs. Let's talk about it. Yeah. He's, got, he's got a rice bucket. He's got a mac and cheese bucket. There's a taco bucket, and they're all absolute garbage, and you'll overpay out the ass for them. Um, but, just, God but, but just open the five-gallon bucket. Stick <laughs> your ungloved hand into it. Feed oh. it to yourself. Extend it to your toddler child. Mm. Everyone agrees it's delicious. Washing your hands is for heathens. I've always said that. Yeah, well, I mean, like, what are you washing your hands for? You don't believe in God? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my gosh, full circle. I love it. <laughs> <sighs> um, yeah, Luke, thank you for coming on. Um as I've said before, like you're I, I really admire the person you are. Um, like I wouldn't be doing this podcast if it weren't for you, so um yeah, thank you for just being you, bro. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, like I said, none of it's deserved, but I'll take it. <laughs> nah, I, I, I'm dead ass, man. Like I, like, I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for you. So I, I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, it's been fun as hell. All right, um, as always, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Kicker Soaps, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Liv makes soaps. She named the company after her daughter. Ah, okay. Yeah. Also, kick it. No, don't do that. Kick it. That's poison. <laughs> so. Kick it. Full name. Yeah. Kick it. Why? <laughs> Soaps. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, no, no problem. I, I know you hate plugging it yourself, so. <laughs> Alright, um, this has been the Burn Down Podcast, uh, the revolutionary messaging program for Luke, for Olivia. I am Jay Hezekiah. See you later, guys. It's a quote of his where he says, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty accurate, something along the lines of, be brutal to institutions and kind to individuals. Right. And really, that's, that's, the, that's something that I want to live by because being brutal to one person, right? Like, and I get it, like there is so much anger and frustration, resentment, everyone feels that, I feel that. And I'm not gonna lie in that sometimes, you know, going after a specific person in the short term, very short term, could feel a little good, right? Could you feel like you're doing something? But you're really not, you're actually like playing into what the Nancy Pelosi's and the Mitch McConnell's want because behind the scenes, they're still getting paid and they're doing nothing for us. Right. And so it's, it's really this whole divide and conquer strategy that's as old as time and continues to be utilized against working people, not only in this country, but throughout the world. That's right. And one message that, that Michael really had, and I'm, I, I now understand it with such clarity, is that we need to find common ground. We need to unite as working people and push forward for a better society. Because 
we might not all come from the same religion. We might not have the same background. We might have some differences here or there. But there is this one major issue that unites so many of us, and it's the economic injustice. Uh, it's the uh, incentives that have been forced upon us by capitalism. Like it's a hula hoop And it's a loop they talk to you just like their rulers do 